Welcome to The Peer Perspective. This podcast is brought to you by Ascend Mental Wellness. It is based on lived experience and personal perspectives. It is not intended to replace therapy or medical advice. I am your host, Ginger Miller. And I am her co-host, Michelle Morehouse. Welcome to today's show, Coping with the Holidays, Staying Connected. On today's show, we'll discuss the importance of staying connected to your supports during the holidays. Our guest today is Ashley Livingston from Hope and Healing Recovery Community Outreach Center. Ashley, can you tell us a little bit about your role and what you do? Um, Yeah, so I am a certified peer recovery advocate. I am, my title is the recovery advocate at the Recovery Center. So I facilitate mutual aid groups, recovery enhancement courses. Um, I plan and execute recovery-oriented social activities. Um, I also work one-on-one with individuals as a peer advocate if that's what they desire. Staying connected to family and friends is really important and those support groups to help maintain recovery and wellness, especially during the holiday season as you know we're celebrating and everybody's pepped with joy. And this time of year can also be um, triggering a lot of different emotions, um, our thoughts, our behaviors, which affects our mental health and um, our struggles with substance use disorder. Um, so there's a lot of different uh, hidden things that can pop up if we aren't prepared for them. They can kind of knock us off our feet sometimes. Um, so it takes a little extra effort during this time of year for a lot of us to think about that and make sure that we're putting into place those extra measures to um, make sure that we are staying safe and healthy. The holidays are a time to really create new memories with family, maybe new traditions. What is the importance of staying connected during the holidays, whether it's support such as family, friends, sponsors, or peers? So I think that it can vary. Um, while I like to say that the opposite of addiction is connection, there are times when our families might not be the healthiest. Um, so maybe those supports are recovery supports we need to be connected with. Um, but as Ginger was stating, you know, lots of different emotions, thoughts, and, you know, which can lead to us acting out and those behaviors can come up during these seasons, um, we might have, you know, negative memories associated with. So it's really important for us um, to be connected with supports, whether that's our family or our recovery supports. I also think that um, it's important to remember that this is a stressful time of year for everybody, not just for people in recovery or struggling with mental health. So when we are visiting with family and friends or things like that, um, they're, they're struggling too, most likely, with something, whether it's the, you know, the aggravation of having to work longer hours for a short time or you know, extra activities with the kids, stressing them out. So it's important to remember that those that were around are struggling too. Many families are grateful this time of year for recovery of a loved one, whether battling addiction, or mental health. However, families need to be mindful that those family members in recovery may be struggling this time of year. 
What obstacles do those individuals who are struggling face during the holidays? Um, so I think that there is a plethora of obstacles, um, and I think Ginger really touched on it too. It's not just individuals that are in recovery from substance use or mental health. I think everybody has obstacles, um, but some of those obstacles for individuals that are in recovery uh, can be, you know, there might be added stress because maybe they're newly in recovery and they don't have the financial ability to purchase like they have in the past. Um, or maybe their family celebrates um, by using alcohol or other substances, and now that's not something that they feel they can partake in. Uh, there might even be legal involved, um, and maybe they will not be able to go spend time with their family if there's going to be alcohol at the venue where they're celebrating. Um, I know in my first Christmas, something I was I was on treatment court, um, and an obstacle for me one was that yes, I I didn't have a job right because treatment court didn't allow me to work, um, so I wasn't able to purchase for my family like I had in the past, which was really hard for me to even grasp. But second, um, my family does you know they can drink socially. Um, unfortunately, I can't. Uh, that was you know, and I couldn't even be around it. Um, and so it was an obstacle just literally going to my mom and being like, Hey, like, here's the rules of treatment court. And if there's going to be alcohol that I can't attend, right. A ritual that I've done my whole life, we always get together on Christmas Eve. Um, so I mean, I just think too, that when we talk about, um, mental health, um, you know, some of it can be triggering based on certain times of the year. So someone that's really stressed out, it could kick up maybe some self-harm behaviors, um, different things like that, different outlets, if we're not mindful in, you know, really staying connected, like we were talking about earlier. I think really the importance of connection is huge um, and being able to overcome some of those barriers. I think another... Um barrier that comes up or struggle can be the expectations, uh, especially in early recovery. Now that I'm, you know, sober, now that, you know, my mental health is a little more stable, I should be able to do all these different activities and things that are coming up. And then it can be really hard to recognize that we haven't turned into Super people, we've just turned into sober or stable people. Um, so that doesn't mean we're still, that we're going to be able to do everything. Nobody can. And it's we, it's important that we remember keeping the expectations real. Since during the holidays, we have activities, gatherings, where we want to be social, happy, and present. What are some of the emotional triggers that, individuals should be aware of that they can face? Um, I think, as you were saying, and kind of ginger too, right? Um, the pressure to just be social, present, and happy. A lot of times in, in early recovery, especially, um, we're just kind of starting to feel. Um, I would give you an acronym, but uh, one part of it is actually not appropriate 
uh, for this podcast. Um, I'll just, I'll say son of a B, everything's real is what my sponsor told me that uh, sober stood for. And so I think just really, maybe you're not happy, right? Maybe you are sad and you're grieving the loss of your substance or the lifestyle. Um, so it's really hard to kind of show up and be present. Um, and I think sometimes people forget that. Um, and there's that expectation that we're going to be happy, joyous, and free right away. And unfortunately, that doesn't come immediately. Um, but I think also, you know, an emotional trigger that could come up um, because, you know, these gatherings and activities might not be with your family. Um, maybe it is an emotion that your addiction and or mental health struggles have caused a uh, wedge between you and your family so maybe you feel that loss of not being able to participate because of your past actions I've seen that a lot um maybe there's some separation you know with you and your child maybe you don't have your child as a direct result and so there's more sadness right affiliated with that season than happiness and so going to these events and activities even if it is with your recovery support um you might find it very hard and you might be sad but like it's okay to be sad um and i think that's you know really important for individuals to understand that just because society says it's the time of joy doesn't mean that everyone is going to be joyful and if you are not that's okay how can you avoid stress associated with those triggers? I think that's an important point um, that even when we're not feeling well, um, that that joyous or happier, all those positive feelings that we may be, uh, society kind of tells us that we're supposed to be this time of year, um, that it is okay to be sad or down or not have all those joyous feelings, but to also remember that when even though we have those feelings it's still important to find a connection so if we aren't able to participate in one of the activities that we may have prior it's important to find something that we can participate in um, a lot of times there's specific sober events if you're in recovery from an addiction um, there are other things that can be done you can make plans with other people or mental health, get outside, even though it's you know a little gloomier or whatever, get, make plans to go for a walk or something. We can still have plans, and I think they're really important, um, especially now, because it is so easy. I know with my own mental health that, particularly with depression, it can spiral quickly. So when I recognize something's not quite right, it's okay. I tell myself it's okay to be in that space. It's okay to feel that way, but don't let it get out of control. I still need to maintain my routines and, if anything, give it more effort to have more connection. Um, I think Ginger had some very good, you know, points on how to avoid letting it take over. I think, you know, it's it's important to remember that. When, you know, we take away a substance, 
particularly, I tell people that it leaves like a, a bullet hole wound, right? So we've removed this thing that has been our security blanket, our best friend, our family. It's gotten us through some of the hardest times and we're left with just this gaping hole. And so it's really important that once we've, you know, taken that out, that we replace it with other things. Um, so I think some of those ways to avoid, like Ginger said, is is not letting it overtake you, uh, really being mindful, um, checking in with yourself, right? And why am I feeling this way? What am I feeling? Maybe that's the first thing. I, I know in early recovery, one of my counselors, um, I'll never forget this, gave me a feelings wheel. Um, because the only anger, like, well, anger was the only emotion that I would feel. And she was like, Ashley, you definitely cannot be angry about everything. I was like, no, I'm pretty sure I'm angry. Um, so she was like, well, I'm going to give you this wheel. And so you're going to like, and so it was like this range of emotions that I would turn. Right. And, um, so that taught me to check in with myself. So, you know, really looking at why am I feeling this way? What is it? Uh, talking it over with supports if need be, and that connection piece, right? I think that that is huge, um, and that is really how we can avoid sort of letting it overtake us, like Ginger was saying. So I found that it was really beneficial to look at, like, retraining my thinking, too, because, like I was saying about that that mindset that I can sometimes get in that's that's kind of negative, I need to slow down and recognize that that negative thought that might be there, is there something that can replace it? So where I'm sitting there thinking, you know, well, I can't go visit so-and-so because I know they're going to have, you know, alcohol there, or I know I'm not going to be able to visit with someone, uh, someone else because they're going to bring up somebody else that maybe, you know, I'm not comfortable with, or they trigger old feelings or whatever. When instead of focusing on that negative, I can't go do, I can start thinking about, well, who, who do I enjoy being with? I don't have to be with, it doesn't, I don't have to maintain old patterns. Who can I be around? Um, who can I connect with and make arrangements to do that? Visit, find those new connections. If an individual is not equipped with like the right tools or practices, what are some things they can do? So <clears throat> through my journey of recovery, I have developed a huge toolbox, right? Because I feel like when we are struggling with mental health and or an active addiction, we have like the butter knife. That's like the one tool fits all. So some of the tools that I think are really important um, are, as Ginger was saying, rewiring your brain. Um, and so there's certain things, there's, there's two ways that you can rewire and they will start with them. One is meditation and one is medication. Those are the two way to alter. Um, but really like we were talking about in terms of, you know, taking that time to learn how to regulate emotions and feelings. Um, it's a practice, right? So learning how to do that, learning where those thought patterns come from so that we can um, begin to, like Ginger was saying, retrain or rewire um, both addiction and mental health structurally and functionally alter your brain. Um, but because of neuroplasticity, there is hope. 
um, which is a beautiful thing. So really learning um, how to, like the tools, right? So like emotional regulation is a practice. Um, meditation is a practice. Going to mutual aid meetings is something that you can do, right? Learning from others, that that connection piece, you know, what we can't do alone, we can surely do together. Um, so realistically, like when we're talking about the tool, I think the tool is developing a support network, uh, learning where you're lacking, um, like what your defects may be, whether that's emotional regulation, um, your thought patterns. You know, I think a lot of times we have this negative feedback loop when we are struggling with mental health and or addiction, and it's really learning to break that and learn new ways to live. And I think another thing that was important for me um, to, when I started recognizing that there were different tools for when I was struggling with substance use disorder issues or when I was struggling with mental health uh, symptoms or issues. So recognizing which one I was being affected by in the moment would give me an idea of which tool I needed to use. A tool that I have found useful um, is role playing. So once you've, you know, have support, you can, whether it's in group or you're working with someone individually, one on one, you can really replay like the situation with them, uh, and it can also help you manage expectations and figure out what you might do. Can you role play a scenario, both a positive and a negative one, of an individual maybe able to approach a friend or a family member about discussing how their supports can help them during a holiday gathering, especially if there's potential for access to alcohol or other substances or mental health triggers? Yeah, we can definitely do that. Um, would you like to be the peer or the recovery? I can be the recovery, Chuck. Okay. So for the positive scenario, would you say that this is going to your family's house and there's going to be alcohol present? Okay. Okay. So you come to your peer. And... So my aunt and uncle are having their usual holiday gathering um, coming up real soon, and I'm supposed to RSVP. But I also know that every year they've always had alcohol available. And I know that I'm still kind of early in recovery and that might be really hard for me. Do you have any suggestions on how I might talk to them about that? So are you, do you want to role play maybe what you say to your aunt? Okay, I'll try that. So I'll be your aunt and we can practice how you might approach her. Okay, Aunt Ash, um, I know you were asking RSVP for the family gathering coming up, and I wanted to talk to you about that a little bit. Um, I think you know I've been trying to stop drinking, um, and it gets really challenging for me when I'm around other people that drink still. And I know you. every year we've there's been alcohol available, and I'm wondering if you might be willing to work with me on this so that I can attend, um, but maybe not struggle and be tempted. 
you know, I'm really proud of you for working on your drinking. Um, and so what is it that would be helpful? How can I help you? Because I'm really proud of you. Well, thank you. Um, maybe if it was just kept in the one small refrigerator and the other drinks were in the main refrigerator so that I would be able to go get a drink without having to look at it, that might be helpful. Um, I can't think of anything else to ask for to do to help me. Okay. I mean, I feel like that's fair. Um, so I'm going to be your aunt, and I would say, would it help you if we didn't have alcohol? Because we don't need to have alcohol to have a good time, um, and, and we really want to make you as comfortable as possible. That would be very helpful. I want everybody to ha have a good time, though. I don't want, want them to not have a good time just because I'm trying to change. And, and we understand that, but we don't need alcohol to have a good time. So I would love to, you know, make it, we can make it an alcohol-free. We could have mocktails um, so that you could also participate. I would love that. So the positive reinforcement that the aunt gave there um, was to really encourage her loved one and support them in you know, their recovery from alcoholism. And, and that's really important um, when we are recovering for families to offer that or, you know, supports to offer that positive reinforcement because it can lift some of the stress off of the individual who is already sort of battling and struggling. And you heard, you know, her say that she didn't want anyone else not to have a good time. And a lot of times we think that that's the only way you can have a good time is if you have substances. So by the family member offering that positive reinforcement, it also reinforces their recovery. And so now that we've done one that has a positive outcome, I would like to go over one that has a negative outcome so that we can then manage next steps. Would that be okay with you? I think that's a good idea. Okay. Um, so, Ash, I know you're having the family gathering coming up, and I would like to be able to come, but I think you know I've been working really hard on not drinking, and I know you have always had alcohol at the family gathering. I'm wondering if you would be able to help support me while I try not to drink so that I can come to you. While we are proud of you for working on your drinking, I don't understand why others who don't have a problem should have to forego or alter their plans to suit you. Can you understand where I'm coming from? Yeah, and I, and I don't want everybody else to not have fun just because I'm changing something. I just thought that, you know, maybe even if you um, just kept all the alcohol in one refrigerator and the other drinks in a different refrigerator so that I wouldn't have to see it when I go get a drink. Even something small like that would be helpful. Uh, but then that limits, you know, who can get what um, and from where. So again, I, I feel like you're really putting your issue on the family. Uh, maybe it might be best for you not to come this year. Okay. Well, thank you for talking with me about it. So now, we, how would that make you feel if that was the outcome? Um, sad on one hand because it's a time to be with family, 
Um, but kind of relieved on the other hand, too. Because um, she even said, you know, maybe maybe this isn't the year for you to come or so. Kind of taking that burden off of me. Even though it's not a burden and I want to be there, but it, it it's almost like a permission to not go if that's what's going to be better for me. And I, I love that, right? I think that's really important is being able to recognize um, is this something that supports my recovery or is it something that could potentially hinder it? So now we've sort of went over both scenarios and it might even be that there's an outcome in the middle, but I, I would like to ask you as your peer, um, you had mentioned the suggestion of putting it in a small fridge. How are you going to respond when you see others drinking? Have you thought about that? I have some. Um, so the whole point of asking was because I do want to be there. And it is a little bit of a struggle in my mind. Um, I was thinking that if it was in a different refrigerator, at least then I'm not looking at it. I guess to be honest, I wasn't really thinking a whole lot about seeing it in other people's hands. Um, and maybe I need to think about that a little bit more. Yeah, that's something that can, you know, raise certain feelings, whether we're triggered or bring back memories, which, you know, can lead to us sort of, you know, maybe wanting to pick up ourselves. So I think that that's really important and maybe we should really go through sort of those feelings and maybe even doing a pros and cons list of if I go, you know, here are the pros, if I don't. Um, and also, have you considered what alternative you might do if you don't attend? Um, if I don't attend, I know that there's an, some other gatherings, sober gatherings that maybe I could uh, respond to and go to. Um, I, I think I can think of a couple of friends that would be willing. Maybe I could just make some plans of my own and maybe do a little gathering going out and doing something together. So I love that. And I would invite you to have the conversation with your aunt, but even maybe prior or after still do this list, right? And maybe the ask should be to have no alcohol. Um, and then if that's not received, we have, you know, other plans to do other things, which we can discuss at our next meeting. So um, we've seen how role-playing can be an effective tool because a lot of times we don't know how to effectively communicate in early recovery. We haven't established boundaries. We don't really know what they are. Um, you know, we haven't really been thinking about what is healthiest for us or best for us. So just having another person to play scenarios through with can be an extremely helpful tool. Um, something else that I do offer individuals is to do like um, little cards where they can do bullet points because I think sometimes even if you role play when you get in the heat of the situation you might forget what you want to say or something like that but we can see how this can be an extremely beneficial tool. How can an individual foster their connections? So there are many ways they can attend mutual aid meetings that exist within the community. Uh, two great ways are to pop into the recovery center. Um, another way would be to pop into Eastside, right? Um, so I think that both of those offer um, 
platforms where individuals can connect with like-minded spiritual beings or at least individuals that, you know, are similar and sort of going through some of the same struggles. Also kind of being willing, right, to put yourself out there. I think a lot of times our addiction and or our mental health can really cause us to isolate. Um, so it's really kind of putting ourselves out there sometimes. What are some resources individuals can use to stay connected? They can come to the Hope and Healing Recovery Community Outreach Center and engage in any one of the plethora of mutual aid meetings that we have. Uh, we're grateful because Ginger comes in Tuesday and does a dual recovery meeting for us. Um, we have one recovery, all recovery, a 12 step on Wednesdays, um, refuge recovery, and that's the Buddhist pathway to end suffering. If they're not really mutual aid is not their thing. We also offer rewired, which teaches them how to rewire their brain, um, through different techniques. Uh, we also offer crafts, um, and different social events, whether that's, you know, the Super Bowl or, you know, doing different things. Maybe they want a peer. They can connect with a peer there. Uh, other things they can do is, like I said in the past, is attend 12-step meetings um, that exist within the community. And some of the other things, um, uh, just before I go into them, if you're going to uh, attend a 12-step meeting, a really great resource there is uh, bring up a topic, talk about things, engage while you're there. But some of the other resources, um, there's Eastside Center. Um, there's other dual recovery groups. I do another one um, at Conifer Park building. Um, and don't forget to take advantage of staying connected with, um, if you've got a therapist or if you are religious and go to church, if you want to be part of a book club, there's all kinds of ways you can connect. Think about what things you have an interest in. And if you're newly in recovery and, and not sure what you are interested in, think about back to maybe when you were a kid, what were you interested in? Did you enjoy reading? Did you enjoy learning crochet? Did you? What did you enjoy then? And maybe try it again and check out one of those kind of groups and maybe you'll find an interest there again. Just the whole important part of it is connect with somebody somewhere. Find a little community that you feel comfortable in. Ashley, thank you so much for joining Ginger and I today and for all you do for individuals in our community who are struggling with recovery. Is there anything you would like to add? No, just thank you for having me join you today. It's been a pleasure to engage and I just want people to know that recovery is a reality. So don't forget the importance of maintaining your routines and giving it that extra effort, um, especially at times that you may need it more and not feel like you want to. Um, don't be afraid to set boundaries. And most importantly, remember, you matter. You're not alone, and you don't have to do this alone. Join us for our next show, Coping with the Holidays, New Beginnings. Visit us on our socials and at our website, www.ascendmw.org, for all of the latest information, newsletters, resources, and podcasts.